0: Hey, good morning, family. I hope you all are doing well today. Uh, I wanted to uh, answer pretty much the same question that I answered a week ago, but many of you have continued to ask and new guidance has been released today that I think warrants just kind of addressing it again. Here's the question, John, we know several churches to include Coza Baptist and Calvary, along with all the chapels, will be gathering for worship this weekend. So when will we? That's a great question. Uh, Many of us were looking forward to hearing news this week that guidelines would relax enough today uh, that we would be able to once again gather with our entire Pillar family in the near future, or at least circle that date on the calendar. Well, guidelines did relax somewhat, but not enough for us to resume in-person worship gatherings at our off-base venue. I did hear, on the on the, on the the bright side, I did hear you all are now permitted to dine in at off-base restaurants so long as they have outdoor seating, and most of you can once again shop at off-base retail stores, I think, to include the mall, but don't take my word for it. So basically, it's like you're turning 18 again and your daddy's tossing you the keys to the family car, uh, so congratulations on that. Have fun. Uh, my family and I have been doing our part to hold down the local economy and to support the local food industry so we're glad to welcome you back thanks for your help um but hey listen sofa members are still restricted from gathering uh for worship at off-base venues that's the bottom line so as to when we will gather again listen here just to re- reiterate from last week here's our approach once we receive word that a good portion of sofa members have been authorized to worship off-base and by that i mean hopefully it doesn't happen in phases like a service branch at a time but maybe it does Uh, But when we find out that at least a portion of you have been released for that, we will take at least one week uh, to first ensure that we are in compliance with all mandated guidelines and second, to ensure that we can actually gather enough people in our small facility to justify making the transition from missional community gatherings in homes to gathering the entire family or a portion of our church family in our venue. I mean, what I'm saying is this. If social distancing requirements mandated by the DOD are so prohibitive that we can essentially only gather the equivalent of one or two missional communities in our worship gathering space, which as most of you know is, is long but kind of narrow, um, we would likely continue gathering as missional communities for a few more weeks until guidelines relax enough so that we can gather a better number or a good number of people in our long but narrow space. So that's our general approach. Look, we want to gather as a big family on Sundays. We do. But let's remember a few things together. First, the church never closed down. So we're not waiting to reopen. The church is a people, uh, not an organization which dispenses religious goods and services. Like You are the church. We collectively are the church. Uh, We've not ceased to be the church. Uh, we've not ceased to live the way that Jesus calls us to live as His family. Um, we've missed out on our big family gatherings every Sunday, and for a season, our MCs had to adjust, spend time apart, and go virtual, and all of that. Um, but most of our most of our MCs are now able to once again gather in person. And God willing, in the near future, we'll be able to gather the entire family on Sundays as well. We will, and it's going to be uh, so good to be back together. But in the meantime, listen, we're not anxious about this. Like, we're just not sitting here wringing our hands, worrying about when um, we will be able to, to gather again. We're not anxious. We're not worried. We're not rushing. We're not trying to rush. Our identity hasn't changed one bit. Our mission hasn't changed one bit. We're not dependent upon a building. Our Father is in control. The Spirit is still present with us, empowering us to live as His family of servant missionaries. Maybe it, maybe even it's His design for us to spend more time out of the building for a season. Who knows? He's in control. We're not. He will redeem the season for good and for His glory. So no anxiety. We'll just patiently wait until the restrictions are lifted and then we'll move forward with wisdom and we'll meet together. And trust me, you'll be the first to know when when that date is circled on the calendar. Uh, you won't have to hunt for information and you won't be left guessing. It'll be all over the place. We are proactively leaning into this situation and we'll aggressively communicate plans uh, and updates as we're able to make them, All right. That's So that's kind of the long answer. I know it's kind of ambiguous, but that's what we've got. All right. Now, briefly, I just want to give, uh, before Zach Dougherty, one of our pastors, preaches this morning, I just want to share one more thing. And this is something of a personal and pastoral confession. Um, in a season where we have witnessed back to back to back unjust deaths of two black men, George Floyd and Ahmad Arbery, and one black woman, Breonna Taylor, and I'm sure there are others, but in terms of the national stage or the national media, those are the names that, that most of us are aware of. Um, I personally have been deeply convicted that I have fallen far short of what uh, my father, our father, requires of me both personally and pastorally. And what does my father require of me? Well, for starters, he calls me to do justice and to love kindness or love mercy and to walk humbly with him. So that means that command is that I would do justice in my own relationships. It's personal, but it's not just personal. It's that I would care about justice in my neighborhood and do it there. And more broadly, that I would care about justice in my city and in my culture, pray for it, work for it, be a vocal advocate, and so on. Um, So in this conversation, we're talking about racial justice, caring about it, praying for it and working for it. I need to love kindness more um not just in my personal relationships but again in my neighborhood in the culture of my city and in our culture at large i need to walk with greater humility as a man and as a pastor and what does that look like as it relates to racial justice it means that i i sit myself down and i listen to understand i ask questions i read broadly and i listen to understand i speak less to win arguments i speak more to advocate for the good of others i Engage with social media, but that's not our primary outlet for this stuff. It's secondary. Like, this is personal, relational, and in flesh and blood. Um, I need greater humility. I need to walk with greater humility. I need to listen more. I've fallen short in this area. Furthermore, we know that Jesus says the first commandment, the greatest commandment is, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment, Jesus said, that is greater than these. So here's the bottom line for me as a man. I need to grow in my expressions of neighbor love, especially neighbors unlike me. And I need to grow in my concern that all neighbors in my city and in my culture experience that love, especially the neighbors who are in the minority and unlike me. As a church family, Jesus is very clear. He says that there be there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. I think this is what's been hitting me the hardest, just to be honest with you as a pastor. Let's just, I mean, this is who we are. We are a majority white American church. That's the demographic of our church family in this life stage of our plant. Uh, Within our family, we do have... Uh, members, uh, a, a minority group who are black Americans, and they have suffered in the past from racial injustice. They bear those scars, and they carry those wounds, and they suffer in the present from racial injustices. Again, some wounds from the past and some present ongoing wounding. Guys, what Jesus said is, if one member of our family suffers, we all suffer together. So I need to do a better job of seeking people out, of asking them questions, of listening and learning of their suffering and showing empathy, empathy. These are personal confessions. These are personal confessions, but they are pastoral too. I confess that I have been slow to grow in this aspect of my pastoral leadership. So if our, if our church family falls short in this area, it is because I have fallen short. And I, along with a team of pastors, have the responsibility to lead our church in this direction. So that we as a family would increasingly do justice and care that justice is done broadly and specifically racial justice, that we would love mercy, that we would listen with humility and that we would love our neighbor, especially the neighbors unlike us, and that we would advocate for these things broadly and that we would increasingly give ourselves to doing the personal relational work necessary to share in the sufferings of every member of this family. So while this is a personal confession and it's also something of a public notice for you as my family because I don't want you to be surprised when you hear me talking about all of this and by this I mean racial justice and injustice when you hear me talking about all of this more and more in the coming weeks and months we don't want to talk about racial justice reactively only when another person is gunned down we Want to talk about racial justice proactively because it is a gospel issue, but I'll just to be honest with you, I have fallen way short even in the first to be a pastor who speaks reactively about these things, and I need to confess that, and I need to uh confess to you as a family that I want for us to work harder at speaking proactively about these things because it's not in addition to the gospel, it's not secondary, there are profound gospel implications in this conversation it's a gospel issue. I read an article this week by Philip Holmes. He said, we all should be uncomfortable about the injustice in our country. For many Christians, facing the reality that America still has a race problem is uncomfortable. Until we are able to listen to the cries of black advocates, sympathize with black mothers, and express righteous anger over dead black bodies, we might remain comfortable but it's a poor substitute for the love to which we have been called. And I absolutely agree with him. Those words have been bouncing around in my heart all week. So I love you, family. I look forward to growing with you. And as we as we learn to listen uh, well to every member of our family and to sympathize and to express righteous anger and model what it looks like to be a part of Jesus' reconciled family for Jesus' fame, for the sake of the gospel, and for the good of our family, every single member, and for the good of those who are not yet adopted in. So I just want to thank you for your grace and your patience toward me, family. I really appreciate that. I love you guys, and I know I am loved by you. And I look forward to seeing you again in person. Thanks.
1: Hey, good morning, family. My name is Zach Darty, and I'm one of the elders here at Pillar. I've got the privilege today of closing out our series on Galatians and exploring what Paul teaches us about spirit versus the desires of the flesh. This sermon is going to be titled, See Your Choice, Spirit Versus Flesh. A couple weeks ago, Kyle did a great job exploring the freedom that Paul addresses in chapter 5. If you haven't checked out that message, I highly recommend going back into the online files and giving it a listen. We explored the freedom of the gospel from the legalistic attitudes that were being pushed in Galatia. Today, we'll pick up in verse 13 of chapter 5 and see what Paul calls us to do with our freedom as we choose a spirit-filled life or the desires of the flesh, what we have standing against us, what we have working for us, and how we can grow in our faith. For any of you type A personality note-takers out there, we're going to be examining six C's as we walk through the text and apply Paul's teachings. We'll explore choice, conflict, constraints, capabilities, continuity, and our calling. So first up, we've got choice. Let's jump right into the word at verses 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This verse sets the tone for what's to come. As believers, we have a choice. We have freedom in Jesus, and we can choose how we want to use that freedom. Paul is clear. There's a right way, and there's a wrong way. Should we use our freedom however we want? Treat it like a license to sin? No. The imperative he gives us is, through love, serve one another. Now, the thing about choice is that it's always present, but it's not always conscious. I was recently selected at work to serve as a member on an administrative separation board. The weight of the decisions that we had to make was palpable. And it drove us to intense scrutiny. I mean, we were firmly aware that our decisions carried consequences, and we weren't going to make them lightly. Our choices would affect someone's life, their family, and their future. In contrast, a few months ago, I was leaving for work in the morning. Normal, everyday routine. I started the car, I buckled up, I got my ID and phone situated, I started an audio book, I put it in reverse, I glanced in the mirror, I stepped on the gas. And then, BAM! I smashed right into the side of a van that was passing by behind me. You see, I was absorbed in the normalcy of my situation, and I wasn't consciously aware of my surroundings, making choices on autopilot that affected me and someone else. Conscious choice requires intentionality. We have to be intentional about loving one another because if we're not, the unconscious alternative is to bite and devour each other. Examples of this are readily apparent in the lives of our church family. Do we choose to join the meal train when somebody has a new baby? Do we give up a day off to help somebody pack out? Do we drop everything and watch siblings when someone needs to go to the ER? Because whether it's an unconscious blow-off, Or an intentional sacrifice the impacts our choices carry far outweigh the seemingly insignificant nature of each individual decision. Next, let's take a look at conflict. We're going to pick back up in verses 16 through 18 and see how Paul defines our situation. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit... And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Here we see a new dynamic the direct opposition of the desires of the Spirit and the desires of the flesh, both battling inside the heart of the believer. Our sinful desires, our rebel tendencies, All the unhealthy things that we've cultivated during our lives are still there. But once we've received Jesus, they no longer rule over us. In Romans 6.14, Paul says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now you might be thinking, hold on, now that I'm saved, isn't all that supposed to go away? Well, no, because the conflict is real. It's continual, and it does carry consequences. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis makes this following quote about choices. He says, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is, it's joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. I mean, that's heavy. But look, we don't have to be intimidated by this. God designed it this way because, in the midst of the struggle, is where growth occurs. Every small submission to the Spirit is a step forward to victory, and every small defeat is an opportunity for repentance and redirection. Next up, we've got our constraints. Let's pick up in verses 19 through 21 and see what's working against us. Notice the breakdown of the categories of the works of the flesh that Paul uses. The first three are sexual in nature. We've got sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Then we've got two that are targeted directly towards religion. We've got idolatry and sorcery. Then the next eight deal with community and how we relate to each other. Four destructive attitudes of enmity, strife, jealousy, and fits of anger. And for results of these attitudes, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. And then finally, we have two lifestyle choices and substance abuse choices, drunkenness and orgies. I know today we hear the word orgies, we tend to think of another sexual sin, but he's actually talking about like a drunken bender or wild living is what he's referring to here. It's important to understand that Paul is not providing a comprehensive list of sins, And he's not providing a simplified version of the law, a sort of avoid these things and you'll be okay. What he is doing is painting a picture of a life that is ruled by the flesh. Note Paul's second warning. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's referring to a continued, ongoing, and unrepentant indulgence of these sins. He's referring to someone who chooses not to fight and lets the flesh rule. This is not meant to make you question your salvation, but as a wake-up call to complacency. I find it interesting that the first mentioned works of the flesh are sexual, but the preponderance of those listed involve our relationships with other people. Paul might as well have been writing this letter to us today. Sex invades not only TV and movies, but anywhere there's an outlet to the outside world. I mean, common sense media is my friend, but it often feels like every new show that comes out Is asking me to compromise what I'm willing to let into our home. See, that's the danger of sin. It always progresses. When it starts, it might not even be something that you notice. Until one day you wake up and wonder, how did I get here? See, one show had a little bit of nudity. Then there were some suggestive ads on Facebook. Then the next show had some heavier scenes in it. And before you know it, you're watching pornography. You have to be intentional about the small steps. Because if not, the line will move. And when it comes to relating to others, I have a natural tendency to process difficult emotions by turning them into anger. It's the emotional easy button for me personally, and I'd wager for some of you as well. Something hurts my feelings, be mad about it. Someone leaves me out, offends me, slights me, get mad. See, anger is easier than introspection. But the easy path is rarely the right one. And while anger itself is not a sin, we're specifically told to be angry and do not sin. And to not let our anger sit unaddressed because uncontrolled anger gives the enemy a foothold. Now, I've confessed one of my rebel tendencies. I wonder, what's one of yours? But look, praise God, we're not in this alone. Our next stop's gonna be capabilities. In verse 22 and 23, let's see what we have working for us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Love can best be defined as an attitude that considers other people more than ourselves, without expecting anything in return. It tops this list, and it's explicitly described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Next, we've got joy a delight in God for who He is, and an inner confidence founded on our place in Christ. Then peace, confidence in the wisdom and control of God transcending our circumstances. Patience, the ability to endure hardship to weather the storms of life. Kindness, the ability to serve others practically and gently. Goodness, integrity, doing the right thing in every situation. Faithfulness, being loyal, courageous, and true to your word. Gentleness, humility, the Spirit's power not to be extreme in our responses. And finally, self-control, the ability to pursue the important over the urgent. In contrast to works of the flesh, Paul specifically uses the terminology fruit of the Spirit. Tim Keller gives us four important distinctions about the meaning encompassed within the fruit metaphor. First, the growth of the fruit is gradual. It happens slowly, over time, until one day a situation presents itself and you realize how much better you handled it than you would have a couple years earlier. Second, the growth of fruit is inevitable. The fruit will grow. No matter where a person is in life when they get saved, the fruit will burst through. This is encouraging because nothing will stop its growth. But it's also challenging because it causes us to ask, if we've been Christians for a while, is there fruit growing in my life? Third, the growth of fruit is internal. Look, tying apples to a dead tree doesn't make it alive. The fruit comes from the life. The life does not come from the fruit. And finally, the growth of fruit is symmetrical, meaning that all the fruit of the spirit grows together. As we look at the list, I'm sure you notice a propensity towards one or two more than the others. That's natural, and it's a product of our individual makeups and our backgrounds, but listen. Having one or two traits present and lacking the rest is not evidence of fruit growing. Remember that all of this fruit is dependent on the Spirit. As we saw in verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is not achieved by a white knuckle fake it till you make it. Rather, a complete and utter surrender to the desires of the Spirit and a willingness to crucify the desires of our flesh. This is an ongoing process. In verses 24 through 26, we're going to see a roadmap for continuity and how we can continue to grow. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See, it starts with, and those who belong to Christ Jesus. It begins with the gospel. So let's pause for just a moment and explore what exactly does that mean? Well, to start, it means that we're all sinners, everyone. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 tells us that the wages of this sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, Jesus paid a price that we couldn't pay. He took a punishment that he didn't deserve so that we can get a reward that we don't deserve. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the only way to God. If you haven't asked him to be your personal savior, now is the time to do it. Isaiah 55.6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Well, he is near right now. Look, we don't know what the future holds, and we're not promised tomorrow. But if you're watching this right now, you have an opportunity to make the most important decision you will ever make in your life. There are no magic words. It's just a confession that you need a Savior. If you feel a pull in your heart about that right now, just where you're at, bow your head and pray this after me. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't do anything to pay my own debt. I know that I need a Savior. Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Be my savior. Hey, if that's you and you just prayed that prayer right now, that's amazing. Tell somebody. Let us rejoice with you. Reach out. Call your MC. Reach out to your fight club. Call them. If you don't have one of those, reach out to the friend who brought you to Pillar Church. Look, if you're new on island and you don't have anybody, you just stumbled across this online and are watching it right now, that's okay. I'm in Okinawa too. Call me. My phone number is 080-3522-2484. I promise I will be happy to stop whatever I'm doing and rejoice with you. Look, now that we've nailed down any questions about salvation, there shouldn't be any doubt in your mind. We can move on to the next second half of that verse. It says, have crucified the flesh. Look, that's not a singular event. It's how we choose to respond in the moment. It's choosing to be patient at work when a situation doesn't go your way. It's refusing to pick up the offense when your spouse says something to you and you feel attacked. It's choosing to be kind when your child has another accident or wants to talk about cartoons while you're trying to do something urgent. (laughs) And let me tell you something, it's not easy. The desires of the flesh are strong and our rebel tendencies are alive and well. But this is where the fight begins. This is how we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Each time we submit to the Spirit, the fruit grows a little. And eventually a situation arises and our first response is one of peace and patience rather than one of anger or frustration. We've taken a step and growth is occurring. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. <laughs> a long time ago, at Paris Island, South Carolina, I had a giant senior drill instructor who taught me how to march. And keeping the timing and the rhythm with those around me did not come naturally to me. And it was often accompanied by a bellowed, it! get your uncoordinated butt in step and stop messing up my formation. I mean, it was a little bit more colorful than that, but I think you get the gist. The most important thing I learned during that was how to change step and get myself back in line with the guys who were around me. It's applicable here because this is the same thing. As we practice submitting to the Spirit, We will make mistakes. So how do we change step? By confessing our sin, by repenting, and by trying again. You want to talk about humbling? Confess to your children that you were wrong to lose your temper and yell at them. Confess to your wife that you're sorry that you responded to her in a negative way. But man, the peace that comes with that is tangible. And having your family see the gospel shape your life in practical ways is priceless. This is how we get back in step with the Spirit. Remember that every decision requires a choice. And whether you make the right choice or the wrong one, it always comes back to preaching the gospel to yourself. In verse 26, Paul warns against two of the most common ways to fall out of step with the Spirit, provoking and envying. See, these are two sides of the same coin, comparing ourselves with others. When we feel better in some aspect of life than other people, we're provoking. We got a pride-based attitude, as if we earned something by our own accomplishments. When we feel insecure, we're envying, as if we aren't as worthy as they are because we haven't done what they've done. But listen, both of these are forms of conceit. They're both marks of a self-absorbed attitude. Worse, these attitudes are a works-based mentality, and they're contrary to the gospel message. Only by focusing on the gospel can we find the humility that comes from knowing that we're sinners saved only by grace and also the boldness that comes from knowing that we're loved by the God of the universe. All right, finally, let's explore our calling and see what Paul instructs us to do. We're going to take a look at chapter 6. We'll start with verses 1 through 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Here, Paul paints a picture of life when submission to the Spirit is present. Brothers correcting brothers with a spirit of gentleness. No flying knife hands, no division, no backbiting. Look, he turns their attention back to caring for their neighbor. He doesn't leave any room for negotiation, nor is he ambivalent about the importance of doing this. He literally says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Notice that we bear one another's burdens, but we test our own work. It's not our place to test the validity of our neighbor's heart, only to gently bring their focus back to Jesus. But in my own heart, where I'm intimately familiar with the depths of my sin and the overwhelming grace of our Savior, can I test the attitude of my heart? Did I say the right thing? but harbor anger and envy while I said it? that I choose to help a friend, but then resent the time that it took to do it. As we examine these motivations through the lens of the gospel, our shortcomings become apparent and we are given another opportunity to submit to the Spirit. Now we'll close out on verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. cause and effect. If we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we will reap eternal life. Which will you choose? You know, I watch the news and it breaks my heart to see how our are relating to one another. I mean, tragedy, violence, rioting, anger, fear, frustration, those are the hallmarks of the day. We're divided on how to achieve justice, how to run our country, and how to relate to the rest of the world. It's scary, it's overwhelming, and it's difficult. But we as Christians have a calling to be the light of the world. Jesus never said it would be easy. In fact, in Luke 9:23, he says, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me." So in light of that, let me pose a couple of hard questions. Does your Facebook page have more about your political affiliation than it does about your identity as a Christian? Are your online interactions spent trying to convince others of the validity of your opinions or trying to understand theirs? Psalm three six tells us, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And Jesus commands us in John 13, 34, and 35, A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. As we navigate these difficult times, our orders are clear. Love one another. Serve one another. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. See, change happens at the heart level. As we decide moment by moment to submit to the Spirit and to crucify the flesh. This change spreads life to life, community to community, and that's where true reform is going to be found. Be the light. Look, Paul knew it wasn't easy. I mean, that's why he gave us the encouragement. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Because the struggle is real. But in the struggle, there is growth. The final call to action is to focus us back on our neighbors. Do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Look, it's our choice. Submit to the Spirit and watch as His transformational power goes to work in your life. Hey, I love you guys. Have a great week.